Okay, at this time we're blessed to have our sermon for today, brought to us by Mr. Curtis Whiteley, entitled Complacency and the Christian Walk. Well, good afternoon. It's wonderful to see everyone here, as it always is, on another beautiful Sabbath day. Anybody else excited about seeing sunshine? Right? Cool, and some of those things that we take for granted. So, as was mentioned, the title of my message today is Complacency in the Christian Walk. And according to the Merriam Webster Dictionary, the word complacency in the English language, there's a couple of them that I chose to share with you today, is a feeling of being satisfied with how things are and not wanting to try to make them better, a complacent feeling or condition. Another one is self satisfaction especially when accompanied by unawareness, actual dangers, or deficiency. I think that all of us have gone through times in our life where we've become complacent. You know, that feeling of just the word that's not even a word, just ah, different, right? You're not hot or you're cold or, or cold, just indifferent. You don't have the energy about something that you might have once had. And this can be in so many different levels of life or different areas of life. It can be with work. It can be with marriage. It can even be with our hobbies. But the question I want to ponder today is complacency within our Christian walk. I think that when we read the Bible, especially the New Testament, When we take this journey, this Christian walk, one of the marks of this walk is this continual fight and battle against becoming complacent in our faith. And we see this all throughout the scriptures. Paul writes to people. James writes to people. John, we see the Gospels. It all echoes this sentiment, right? It's not that Here's the theology of Christianity. You're saved. Now we're just waiting for the return of of Jesus Christ. That's not how it is. There's a constant admonition that's given to us. Exhortation that we are to fight against becoming complacent. And becoming, like the book of Revelation says, of one church, lukewarm in our Christian walk. And the Bible has a lot to say about this idea. We can't, of course, cover all of it. But I do want to focus on a few spots today as we reflect on our own Christian walk, especially in light of Passover coming up. And one of the areas, interestingly enough, that complacency can come is through blessing, through success. Let's go to Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter. We're going to break into context. But what's interesting is that when we read the story of the ancient Israelites, there was two traps of them getting off track. One of them that we see was fear. They were fearful. Moses was up on the mountain. Where was he at? And they turned back to their ways of idolatry. The ways that they knew from ancient Egypt. But Moses, in Deuteronomy, this last book of what's known as the five books of Moses, the Torah or the Pentateuch, he gives this string of warnings 
to ancient Israel, who was just getting ready to go into the promised land. And breaking in the context of Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, verse 25, Moses tells this to the Israelites. He says, when you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything, do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed. Now that's kind of a negative passage that I chose to bring out. But unfortunately, it's a true passage. As we will see, it will come true. And the reason that I chose this was because of the phrase in verse 25, and have grown old and in the land. This is actually from a Hebrew word, yasin. And this word means, according to the key dictionary of the Hebrew Bible, to be slack or languid. Now, I didn't know what the word languid meant. So I went to the English to understand what that word means. And it means, and it gives the idea of a slowing down in regards to effort. And it can also signify as someone being slack. And so Moses is warning the Israelites almost as if it's going to happen, he knows it's going to happen, saying it like when it happens, I know this is going to happen. He's warning them about their complacency. The New Revised Standard Version actually uses the word in English, complacency, in that translation. The, the warning that Moses is giving here is that of the Israelites becoming complacent, meaning comfortable. The blessings and the successes that are going to come to them is going to result, unfortunately, in them having a temptation to become lukewarm. And as a result, become lukewarm. Sometimes blessing, it's not that we don't want to desire blessing, we do. We want success. But there is, in this human condition, when we receive those blessings, there is a temptation to forget who done the blessing. Who it is that is responsible for our success. And Moses is warning them that when they do this, they're going to be given over to idolatry. They're going to forget about God. They're going to lose the fear that they had in God. They're going to lose the remembrance of that covenant that they made with God while they were wandering in the wilderness. And reading on in Deuteronomy 4, verse 27, God says, And the Lord will scatter you among the people. You will be left few in number among the nations to drive you. And there you will serve gods, the work of men's hands. Gods that really aren't even gods. Gods that cannot bring you success, can't bless you. Gods that are made of wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat. Sobering warning, Israelite people. And unfortunately, we see the results of this actually take place. We see eventually that the kingdom in the north, as they become separated, the kingdom in the north and the kingdom in the south, both eventually come to the words that Moses writes in the book of Deuteronomy. And they fall into captivity. 
despite these words being written down and all of Israel, the priests, kings having access to these words, to these oracles of God, from generation to generation, the warning was not heeded. In light of Israel's successes, people stopped fearing God, but abandoned the covenant that he made with them. And we see this over and over and over and over again. Now there's a lot of examples of this. We could go directly to the fall of both Israel as well as the kingdom of Judah. We could go to David, his fall. You know, he's a man after God's own heart. You know, he's typically not the one that you think of that when we think of someone getting off track, but we know even the men of God and women of God that we see in the Bible, their deficiencies are recorded as a reminder to us that no matter where we are, we have to always give glory to God and we have to always fight becoming complacent in our faith. I do want to go to one example in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. It's a story about a king by the name of Uzziah. Maybe you've read a little bit about Uzziah. But he actually ruled 52 years in the kingdom of Judah. And he was one of the good kings. He was one of the kings that followed after God. And in verse 4 and 5 of 2 Chronicles 26, we read this about Uzziah. He says, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Now that's something you don't read about every king, Right? This is something that becomes kind of an anomaly, or so it's like the exception. When we read about the kings of Israel, of course, but even to some extent the kings of Judah. According to all that his father Amaziah had done, verse 5, he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made prosperous. As long as he sought as long as he sought the Lord. In his reign, we see in this story, we're not going to read all of it, God had made Uzziah prosper in many areas, but three specific areas. Number one, in war. He was successful in leading Judah in war. He was successful and prosperous in building our agriculture, as well as raising up a great army. But unfortunately, this success resulted from God's blessings instead of continually being reminded where those blessings came from he became complacent arrogant verse 15 skipping down we read and he made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers in the corners to shoot arrows and large stones so his fame spread far and wide for he was marvelously helped till he helped by God Almighty. Verse 16 tells us, but when he was strong, his heart up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar. Now here's what's a little different. To what we typically read about kings. A lot of times, kings or people burning incense to other gods. That's not what Uzziah was doing. He was actually burning incense to the Lord God Almighty, but it wasn't 
What exactly was his sin? His pride in thinking because the fame that had went out about him led him to believe that he could do something that Scripture was clear was not eligible. Going into the temple and burning incense, something that was reserved for the Levitical priest. But I want to read on in this story because I think to some extent we see why the punishment came upon him because he's getting ready to get punished. I don't think it was just the act alone, but I think that there was an attitude that came along with it, which we know was an attitude. The attitude that prompted him to do this in the first place. Verse 17, so Isaiah the priest went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. But here's verse 19. Here's the attitude Uzziah responds to these priests with. He says, Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priest, leprosy broke out forehead before the priests the house of the Lord beside the incense altar and Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him and there on his forehead he was leprous so they thrust him out of the right place or out of that place indeed he was hurried to get out of because the Lord had struck him King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death he dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Then Jotham, son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. So we see that, obviously, Uzziah, even though he reigned for 52 years or so, his legacy was greatly tarnished because of his arrogant behavior, because of the complacency that he allowed himself. Now, I think one of the dangers of reading these stories is, is it's easy for us living in 2023, right? With the ability to read the entire story all at once if we'd like to, and to shake our heads and say, I cannot believe that they did that. I can't believe that Uzziah did that. I can't believe that the Israelites ignored God. What were they thinking? But I also think that that's a naive perspective. Because the Israelites, their attitudes, as well as King Uzziah's, are not something that we, living in the Christian era, are immune to. As human beings, we have that temptation still. We have a sinful nature about us. Now, we have God's Spirit. We have some advantages. As, the, as, as Jesus himself said, of even some of the prophets being given the ability to know some of the things that some of the prophets long to know about. We've been given God's Holy Spirit. We've been given into this new covenant relationship. But I think that in the same way as human beings, even though we have all of these blessings, we still have the possibility of becoming like these in the past. They're not written down so we can look at them, read them, and just point the finger. 
1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, Paul tells us later on, we're going to read 1 Corinthians, but he tells us that these things were written for our admonition, for our learning, for us to benefit from them, not at their expense, but for us to learn from the mistakes that people have made before us. And make no mistake, every single one of us have been extremely blessed. Every one of us. The song that we sung just a minute ago, I wrote this down, and I've heard it many times, but there's a lyric in there, a line in there, it says, to look at him and pardon me. We're getting ready to partake in the Passover. To look at him and pardon me, referencing the great doctrine of substitution. We lived our life in sin. Jesus lived his life sinless. But Jesus, because of what he did, he took our place. He substitute. He was a substitute for us. God judged Jesus on our behalf as if he lived our life. And he judges us as if we lived Jesus' life. There is no greater blessing than that. There is no greater blessing than that. So, as we enter into this Passover season, think about these idea of becoming complacent. Let us remember our blessings that we've been given, but not forget where they come from. Not become dull of hearing the Word of God. Not become blinded by our own sins, not become haughty, not to lose. It, a lot of what Moses says is about forgetfulness. And I think we can subconsciously forget the blessings that we've been given. We can subconsciously forget to focus on our own pleasures above God. And in, in doing that, we replace God with we can forget the charge that God has given us, that is, to, with everything we do, to live unto God, unto the Lord. Of course, to hold Christ as the center, center of our being. In Uzziah's case, his ignorance led him to do something that was not proper. But we know that the attitude was at the center of his sin. It's what prompted him to do what was improper, and it's what prompted him to respond improperly to the sin that he was obviously engaging in. This is something for us as Christians to remember. We even have stories in the New Testament where individuals become complacent, maybe in other areas and in different ways. And in light of the Passover season, I want to briefly touch today upon one of the stories that we've read many times of a group of people in the Corinthian church that had become complacent and allowed sin to creep in and almost blinded themselves to their daily affairs. Let's go to 1 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. And this first letter, it's the first letter that we know we have. There's possibly another letter out there. Obviously, God did not, uh, it, it, not lead it to be... Uh, preserved to be in the New Testament, but there is possibly uh, other exchanges that Paul has had with this Corinthian church. 
But when we read 1 Corinthians, yes, two letters that are in the New Testament, uh, we see that this is a group of people that's marked with all kinds of problems, right? Uh, we see that there's disputes from individuals within the church, some of them claiming to be followers of this person or that person. Uh, we see that there is people uh, taking lightly the Passover, because in this letter we see that he's writing it during the time that the Passover is getting ready to take place, and Paul has a lot to say about the Passover, and there's a lot of Passover themes and analogies, even possibly people taking the ordinance of the wine as maybe a license to get drunk. We see that people in this church were uh, taking each other to court and to using the law of the land, the Roman law, that would be, or the law of Corinth, to actually take each other to court. So this church had allowed the world the Hellenistic pagan world, to enter in into their daily affairs. Breaking in the context, in 1 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, we read this. Paul says it almost like, a, like he's stunned that this is happening. He says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife, and you are puffed up, and not rather have mourned, or and have not rather mourned, that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present. Him who has done this deed. In verse 4, in the same name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of Verse 6, your glorying is not good. There's an arrogance here. Again, now with this group of people. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So we have to ask the question, what exactly was the sin that was going on? Well, at least in this part. We know there are other things that was going on but in this section of 1 Corinthians, the sin was specifically sexual immorality. And it's the Greek word porneia, which is a, used, a, a word that's used oftentimes in the New Testament to denote some sort of sexual immorality. But more specifically, in this case, it was relations with a forbidden mate. Now, the textual note that I want to bring out here is that the way that the text opens up in this passage it says, it is actually reported. Now, to our English reading, 21st century eyes, that might not jump out at us as if we were reading Greek back in these days. Because it's basically demonstrating that it's actually reported means that this is common knowledge. It wasn't a secret. The Corinthians might have been like, yeah, so what? what? Everybody knows. It demonstrates a level of surprise on Paul's part that so many people in the Corinthian church knew about this going on and they weren't doing it. 
most likely scenario in this was that this was probably some individual's, I guess you would say, stepmother. Father's wife, we know that there are at least three different places in the Old Testament that forbids this type of relationship. Go to Leviticus 18.8, Deuteronomy 22.30, and Deuteronomy 27.20 all prohibit this type of relationship and even attach a curse on it. Now, when we look at the background of Corinth, this is a group of people that had become newly accustomed, I guess you would say, to what would be considered the ways of God. Corinth was a Greek city. Uh, They were very Hellenistically influenced. Uh, And when we read the New Testament, many of these cities that are primarily Gentile cities, they are Hellenistic. And this is why when we read, for example, in Acts, the 15th chapter, we read that there's this letter that they decide to send to all of the newly uh, converted Gentile believers to abstain from a certain, a certain uh, list of items. And it wasn't that many. And the reason was, was because in this Greek culture, those were the sins that were so prevalent. So when we read Acts 15, we see that sexual immorality is one of those sins that they have to abstain from. Because Acts 15, it seems that they decided that the most urgent, prevalent behaviors need to be addressed first. And later on we read, but Moses has been taught in the synagogue from generations. Meaning, those other things that they learn, they will learn over time. But the immediate issue at hand were these typical Hellenistic pagan customs that they actually had involved themselves in. So they live in this age that's very anti the ways that we read here in the Bible. Living in Jewish times, like the biblical times of the first century, Jews were very different. They had very different customs. You could look at other customs, Hellenistic and and Egyptian and things like that, there were similarities. There were differences, but similarities. But Judaism and the way that it abstained from certain things and the way they only believed in one God and things like that was very, very different and unique in comparison to many of the cultures that lived during this time. And so when I was reading this, I was just thinking about our own culture today. I can imagine the Corinthian individuals having a lot to learn because they came out of a system that was very, very there was probably some things that they had to learn weren't right that they may have just assumed were totally fine because of the way they grew up. And that's not an excuse at all. In fact, this seems to be a pretty heavy uh, sin, especially when Paul says that this behavior is not even named among the Gentiles. But I was thinking about this idea of right and wrong. Because we live in an age where we come out of this world, you, not everyone believes what right and wrong is anymore like they used to. Now there, I mean, there used to be even people who weren't religious, per se, that probably had somewhat of an agreement upon like some universal truths. That's not how this world, unfortunately, sees anymore. Universal truth, in a lot of people's mind, in this age of relativity, is an antiquated concept. 
Truth isn't universal. Truth isn't absolute. Truth is relative. They're human constructs, as people believe, that have just been created and constructed by individual communities and cultures. And we see what has happened with that kind of ideology and haven't we? Because when we abandon the idea of universal truth and that there's absolute, absolute truth, just like there's absolute laws of the universe, there's also absolute moral laws. When we abandon that, it goes from this idea, well, truth is relative and only communities construct it and cultures construct it. And now, it's even been narrowed more down to less, right? It's not now in this ideology that truth is constructed by communities. Now it's truth constructed by itself. What your truth is, what my truth is, what their truth is, can all be different. That's what we have been brought to in our culture and in our society. When you when you reject the idea that there is an absolute truth, that there is absolute authority, objective truth, I'm no philosopher, but the result is that. There is no basis to tell somebody something right or wrong when there is no absolute truth. And I was just thinking of that because I think it's, Relative to the topic that we're talking about. Living in this world, this society, with the human condition that we're in, even though we have God's spirit, I think we can fall into that temptation sometimes and allow this world, this world system, to influence. Now, every generation's probably had sermons like this about their own common culture, right? The culture they lived in. Because in every different generation, there was sin. But it's just sad because we live truly in a world like Judges says. In Judges, the 21st chapter, the very last verse of the book of Judges. You guys all know what that says, right? It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Entered in. I think that all generations have had to grapple with that fortunate ideology. But it seems, and I could be wrong, and I'm biased, obviously, because this is the only generation I've ever lived in, the present, we only have the present, it just seems like we've taken it to a level that human history has never seen before. So getting back to the topic, I kind of went on a tangent there, but it was just some of the reflections that came to me as I was preparing this message. But getting back to the topic of the Corinthian church, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, one of, the sin, one of the issues with this sin was not just the act itself. Of course that was bad, but what was accompanied with the act, like was accompanied with Uzziah and the Israelites, was the attitude. Paul tells us that they were puffed up. And he's wanting to, no, to denote with this phrase an attitude of arrogance. The language in which Paul speaks tells us that there was a complacency among these individuals such that it led them 
to be numb, to be blind, to be tone deaf to what was going on among their own Christian community within their own church. And like I mentioned a few minutes ago, the way that Paul tells us about this in this letter, some of them might not even recognize at all what the problem was. As we know, all sin has deadly consequences. He gets into this phrase that many of us, this analogy, this metaphor, a little leavening leavens the whole you know in the New Testament, leavening is a metaphor for sin. And in a nutshell, the Corinthian permissiveness, that is allowing this sin to spread, or this permissiveness allowed the sin to spread, because he's using leavening as that metaphor of sin. And I don't have a lot of experience with cooking and baking and things like that, but you cannot put leavening in something and not the entire thing be affected by it. That's why Paul says a little leavening leavens the whole lump. He may have been trying to get across to the Corinthians that, look, you cannot ignore sin. You cannot ignore, you cannot tell yourself, well, yeah, that's going on, but everything else we got going on is good. We might be tolerable, you know, tolerating this over here, but, you know, that's the only area that we really need to work on we're doing well. You can't have that attitude. And that's the attitude it seems to be that the Corinthians were having. Now, I brought this story out because I think that although this, there's a corporate message, meaning like a community message, talking to a group of individuals that are tolerating something that shouldn't be tolerated, but I want to take this story, I want all of us, as Passover season's coming up, and I want to use it as a reflection for us as individuals. Everyone in here is going to reflect a little differently. doesn't mean that I'm not saying that they're relative reflections. But what I'm saying is that we all have different experiences. We all have different things that we struggle with. Paul would later write a, 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 another epistle, as we well know, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. He tells them this. He says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, do not know yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you. Just like it's easy to read this biblical narrative and the failures and sins of those who came before us and think when we read this story that we can't believe that they would fall for those things, or fall into those traps, or that they would have those sins. I think that we need to read these stories and reflect on our own Christian walk and ask ourselves, are there areas in our life where we have become complacent? Are there areas in our Christian walk that we have become complacent? Are there sins that we have ignored and maybe it's been long enough that we've actually forgotten them? Now, disclaimer, we know we're not perfect. We're going to sin. We know that we're not perfected yet. Christ has not returned. We know that. This isn't me saying that we've got to figure these things out or we're going to lose that blessing of salvation. By no means. 
But have we ever come to a point where there's things in our lives that's hindering us because we have ignored them for so long that we've become tone deaf? That we have become, like Moses talked about, grown old. We've been lured to sleep. We've forgotten about them. Like the Corinthian Gentiles, who came out of a Hellenistic culture that was opposed to the ways that this book was written and based upon, the ways of God, absolute truth, we ourselves have come out of a world, our own Hellenistic culture, our own believing Gentile, unbelieving Gentile ways. There's things that we still have to fight that are, that are I guess you would say, we're at a proclivity maybe to fall back into. Temptations, things that we've struggled with. The old man, although it's been put to death, tries to, with the help of the world, with the help of our human nature, with the help of a deceiver, tries to be resurrected. Right? Tries to creep back up. In this story, Paul is exhorting us I'm paraphrasing. Live out what you are. Live up to what you are. Verse 7, Therefore forge out the old leaven that you may be a a new lump, since you truly are a leaven. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity. Paul tells the Corinthians that you are unleavened. Act like it. The old leavening that still persisted, at least in in the Corinthians' case, sexual morality as as well as other things, we have to ask the question in our present day, as we are preparing for the Passover, what old leaven still remains? Only we as individuals can answer that for us. Paul was saying, as I mentioned, they need to live up to who they were. A group of sanctified individuals by the blood of Jesus Christ. Live up to your calling. Christ, our Passover, he's removed that sin. You're not living up to that worthy calling Worthiness of the calling in which you're called. A couple weeks ago, I gave a message and I, re- I read and we talked about Ephesians 4, where Paul says, Walk in a worthy manner of the calling to which you have been. We talked about walking worthily and how that is a concept that Paul doesn't just say in Ephesians, he says it in Thessalonians, and he says it in several other places because he knows in this human condition, in this Christian walk, we have to be repeatedly reminded to fight against complacent attitude. Let's go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 17 to 24. And I was going to say this was going to be my concluding passage, but I might just read one more after this. This is a message, or a message from Paul. This is a, a pa- some passages from Paul that I remember uh, 
before I was baptized, I think maybe in my biblical counseling, among other scriptures that I was read, read to me, always stuck. It's like, it, it's like you read these words, and if you're like me, you know, obviously every word of God, every word in this, this, this Bible, these 66 books of what's known as the word of God is God's word. But there are some passages sometimes that just that click with you. Never forget them. Even when years go by that it's been since you maybe have stopped and meditated on them. Paul says, this I say in verse 17 of the 4th chapter, Therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the facility of the mind. And of course, when he says Gentiles, we can think of ourselves as when we were unbelievers. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness, greediness. Verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in you put off, turning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to lust. Is this an exhortation renewed in the spirit of mind? That you put on the new man. New man that's not in the similitude and the likeness of our old man. It's in the similitude and likeness of none other. Christ our Lord. That you put on the new man which is created according to God through righteousness. Through righteousness. So in conclusion, as we enter this Passover season, let us all strive and pray for God to wake us up. That's not saying that, I'm not telling you, you need to be woke up, you got sin in your life. It's a message to all of us, as the scriptures continually warn us. For God to stir up an energy in us, a spirit in us, that's insincerity and truth, and and to, to, to remember to put away the old leaven from the year. The things that we sometimes subconsciously hold on to, we can't even realize. Maybe this message today, maybe you feel it's personable. Maybe, you know, in this Christian walk sometimes we can go through these things. And we can recognize that, you know, sometimes it's not just about arrogance or about, you know, the blessing that leads us sometimes to have a bad attitude. Sometimes we just, for some reason, the world, the busy life, the demands, just a, you know, the day in, day out, day in, day out demands sometimes of just work and family life and responsibilities. Sometimes we just, we get off track. Wake up, all of a sudden, months go by, years go by. You don't maybe feel like you, you don't feel like that spirit is stirred up in you like you used to. 
certainly want that. Maybe you've struggled and you've, you've you know, maybe turned aside in your own mind that you haven't really been following Christ like you should be. I think all of us need to recognize that God has grace for us. One more passage I want to read. Now this is applied to Israel. We read verses uh, of Deuteronomy 4, chapter 25 and 26 and 27. But there's, there's kind of a concluding thought that I wanted to make that I brought out today. After Moses tells them about the warnings, he says this, And there you will serve God, this is verse 28, the work of men's hand and the wood of stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat. We read that. But verse 29 says, But from there, you will seek the Lord your God. You will find him. Seek him. With all your heart, with all your soul. When you are in distress, and all those things come upon you, the latter days, turn to the Lord God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He won't forsake you. He will not forsake you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant your fathers, Moses. We know we're on greater, and God's mercy still something that can be applied to us. We as Christians can look at this. Sometimes we can we can know and have confidence that no matter how much we slack, slept, how complacent we have become. God is waiting for that to So as we think about this season of life that we're getting ready to partake upon once again, Passover, let us reflect upon all the blessings that God has given us. Let us think about and ask God to bring to light the old leaven, but also remember that there's still great mercy that God still loves you no matter what's been going on in your life, no matter how slack you've gotten, that you can always come to Him. He will show you mercy, grace, and He will bring you back in. We enter into this Passover season. Let us just reflect.